You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff you know yeah that's fair you shouldn't have to like fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process and i think that's really hard because honestly you deserve support from someone who gets it you get it you're my best you, like you're my best friend you get it what do you think i should do i mean i think you should find a disability informed support person to help you work through this if anyone listening to this is interested i'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's like so great and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and well that's a different experience than living with chronic disability i think it's all very related and if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me awesome well i i can't i can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing i'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bump and Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's www.getbumpin.com. And you can pre order your very own Bumpin' Joystick right now. Or you can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. 
Clona-Willy and Clona-Pussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on episode 286 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Hello, friends. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for being here and for wanting to listen to my awesome show that I make from my bedroom all about disability. I am your deliciously disabled daddy host. Disability Awareness Consultant Andrew Gerza. Hello, let's get comfy, cozy, crippled, and let's get started, shall we? I just want to do a couple housekeeping notes before we get started into the show today. Um, so I've been thinking about starting a whole new podcast, a whole new, not, not a series on this show, like an actually a new podcast all by itself, and I'm going to call it a daily dose of disability. I'm thinking, I don't know when this will come out. I have no idea. I haven't planned it, but I want it to be like a three to seven minute daily podcast where we, where, where I just talk about disability stuff for three to seven minutes. We'll look at the news. We'll look at like stuff. We'll do definitions of things like ableism, stuff like that. So this, this, uh, this podcast Disability After Dark is more of a long form, but I want to look at a daily dose of disability as like a micro, acute little crippled bits of discussion that are just tiny micro stuff that you get every day in your ear holes. And um, so I'm working on that, and I'm excited to, to share that with you eventually. Also, on this show, we for a while did Minnesotes where you wrote in letters about your disability experiences, and I read them back to you. So I would love for you to send me a letter. Send me the funniest thing that could happen to you only because you were disabled, and tell me, just tell me that story, and I want to read it back to you. You can email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com, and I would love to read your story back to you in a minisode. Or tell me, like, the worst thing that happened to you because you're disabled. But I want to bring the Minnesotes back because we did them for a while there back a couple years ago and they were really fun for me to do. So I'd love to bring them back here. So if you want to write us a letter, consider doing that. Just want to give a quick shout out to this week's Patreon supporter, Paul Leonard, who was so awesome at the beginning of the month because it is still Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month. At the beginning of the month, I tweeted that if you, and you heard it on, I think, the, the March 5th episode, I said that because we have CP, if you know somebody with CP, 
you have to give us $200. And he was like, well, I can't give you $200, but I'll pledge $50 a month to the Patreon. And I was like, wow, that's so kind of you and so amazing, and thank you so much. So they, it's really awesome. And Paul Leonard, I don't have, I don't have a cool like sexy pun for you except holy fuck thank you thank you thank you for your pledge it means a lot and it helps me keep this show going and i just I really really appreciate it if you want to support the patreon in any way uh listen to the end of the show and we'll tell you how to do that and you can support us on the patreon so thanks paul leonard for your pledge really appreciate it but now for real let's get to the show on the show today, I sit down with my longtime friend, we've been friends for such a long time, my friend Kelly Gordon, who lives in the UK, and we talk about her experiences living with spinal muscular atrophy, being a mom of two, a disabled mom of two, and what that means for her. We talk about um, our, some strange and f- funny and odd sexual experiences we've had. To, we've had. We talk about her experiences being in interabled relationships. We talk about so much here. It was so fun to sit down with her, and I'm really, really excited for you to hear the episode. She's just a barrel of laughs. We talk about her advocacy work, too, with her company With Not For um, and other stuff she's done. So much goes on in this interview, and I certainly hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kelly Gordon. Right now, on Disability After Dark. Kelly Gordon, hello. Hello, hello, Andrew. How Hi. are you today? Yeah, I'm so good. It's so nice to, to talk to you again. Yeah, it's so great to speak to you as well. I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know, you you are one of the amazing guests. It's been so kind with the rescheduling and the moving stuff around and the changing everything. And like, so thank you so much for being here. And you and I have been in each other's orbits. We've we've talked before. We've done some work with stuff because you're in the UK. You're another yeah. awesome friend of mine from across the pond. But we've done stuff for different orgs. We, we know each other. So it's so nice to finally have you on the show properly I feel like we've known each other for ages like I don't even know how long I feel like we've known each other for a good we got connected when they when they started doing the the undressing book back in like back in like 2015 ish it was that was a long time ago because I lived in a whole different place than I live right now so like that was forever ago so we've we've been on each other's like disability orbits for a long time yeah, definitely have, definitely have. And it's like you say, it's so great to finally sit down and spend some time chatting because I know like even maybe like a couple years back now, we always talked about doing the podcast and we even had a combo about it. And then, Oh like, yeah, we totally did. Our and lives are just crazy. <laughs> the world happened and we just... Oh yeah. So here we are doing it. I'm so excited that you're finally here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and you know, you were one of the contributors of our bumping book. So like... Yes. So exciting to like finally talk to you. So excited. Uh, But for anyone who's listening, who's like, who is Kelly Gordon? Can you (laughs) introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, Oh, God, where do I begin? So, yeah, obviously, name Kelly Gordon. I'm 33. I'm from the West Midlands in England, uh, which is near, I live near Birmingham, um, which you can probably tell from my glorious accent. Um, (laughs) I don't know if many people have been exposed to the Birmingham accent. Now Peaky Blinders is a series. That's kind of what my my accent's supposed to be like. so yeah, uh, entrepreneur, I am a mum of two. Um, and yeah, like I, I just work across numerous businesses, um, but I'm sure we will get into that. Oh yeah, no, you, you you are you are very in our little circles, people know who you are. You're like you're <laughs> getting out there doing stuff. 
So, yeah this is it I feel like recently though like I don't know I've been a bit incognito and a bit under the radar and now people are kind of finally like oh Kelly can you like talk to us about this talk to us about that and I'm like oh, okay cool I'll happily do that um but it is it's such a small world once you get started isn't it oh yeah we all know <laughs> each other we're all connected to somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows us it's like yeah great awesome good so yeah <laughs> and you know as disabled creators and disabled entrepreneurs I think that's both a blessing and a curse because I love the community, but I'm also like, I want more than just the echo chamber of us talking to each other. Like I want somebody oh, yeah. else to hear them saying, how do you feel about that kind of stuff as you do your work? Oh, definitely. So one of my companies um, is a recruitment company in the UK. Um, we're called With Not For. And we started in lockdown, which was a really ridiculous time to start a business. <laughs> um, so first lockdown in the UK. So Emma and I, um, my business partner, we set up With Not For to represent disabled talent. So when I say talent, I don't mean like actors and singers and stuff like that. I mean, um, behind the scenes talent, like copywriters, um, illustrators, film directors, like all That's the behind so the important. scenes. Yeah, all, yeah, I think all the behind the scenes stuff is so like, yes, it's good to have a, a disabled person represented on the camera too. But I think behind the camera and in the rooms, and in all this stuff is way not more important, but of equal value to who's on camera. Yeah, it's something that goes massively overlooked, right? Because in like diversity and inclusion and that kind of world, it's like, okay, well, if I'm working with disabled people, I kind of want to showcase that I'm working with disabled people, but it's not about that. It's about being inclusive throughout. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Showing disabled people's work, showing that they're a big part of your company rather than, okay, this is a disabled person on a poster. I've done my job now. Goodbye. Yeah. It's not about <laughs> you showing how great you are. It's about you yeah. actually giving them the opportunity to put in the work to make something properly inclusive. And like, I know that from doing work with Bumpin and having, you know, people in the room for stuff like that. I, I know how important it is to have somebody behind the scenes also mm -hmm. being like, mm, I don't know about this. Mm, not sure about that. How about, what about this? How do we make this better? Like, so I think on camera talent is great. And like in front of the camera or the, like the lead writer is great, but also the people to consult, people to give suggestions, people to say, no, this is the worst. Try this. Like mm -hmm. that, Definitely. that stuff is, is also really important. Oh, God, for sure. Definitely. And like, honestly, what we've like my side of the business, like the thing that I love the most is the creative side. So placing all the creative freelance positions is like my bag. That's where I've gotten comfortable in our business. And, you know, we've had great results from that because we've put um, just for example, we've had a recent project, which was um, a film which was designed for internal use within a massive corporation. Um, and because of the lived experience of my director, my film director, they've turned this film from an internal to a three year online. So it just oh, shows wow. when disabled people really tell their authentic stories it makes it something better. Oh, yeah. You know completely. what I mean? So, yeah. like, that that's my biggest... I keep telling everyone this story because I'm like, this is why you should hire disabled people to talk about disabled experiences. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we say hire very specifically because, like, don't just use our story and then push us away. Give oh, us God, money. Yeah. Like, pay us so we can feed ourselves and pay us so we can have, you know, lives and we can be productive and we can do all that stuff so like yeah hire us please and I, I think what you're doing with it's with not for right I think it's not for yeah I think that's such a cheeky but also amazing like important name for a company too Thank so you. Like, well I can't take credit for that Emma thought of the name so <laughs> but I, I I'll think, take you know, credit here though <laughs> I, I think you know to have a company that plays with the disability justice kind of verbiage and language is fun too like to know that yeah. like you're playing with that is important oh then definitely then people know exactly what you're doing too um yeah. can, so can we back up a little bit and can you share with us like what your disabilities are and how they play a role in your day-to-day -day life of course, yeah. So I've got SMA, so spinal muscular atrophy type three. Um, so I'm an electric wheelchair user full time. Um, 
it's been a weird journey for me because my condition's progressive. Um, so although it's been present from, from birth, it, it does progress as you get older, as your body goes through changes like puberty. Obviously, I said earlier, I've got two sons. Um, so when I was pregnant, there was loads of bad progression. Um, when I say bad, like I just mean like, obviously it's it's taken away my ability which isn't necessarily bad it just means that I have to rework how I cope and how I do things and yeah. you know um care and and the way that I look at everything I guess um so yeah so basically from the age of probably 11 or 12 I've been a full-time wheelchair user prior to that I was really struggling um in a manual and also walking behind my manual quite a lot and using it as a bit of a walking frame um I don't really know how I did that I think as a young kid you kind of struggle with disability and you also you have no nowhere to look because I was in mainstream school I kind of had yeah. no positive disabled role model um so I was just trying to struggle on and carry on walking for as long as I could um which was probably not the right thing to do because I've kept falling over and um you know hurting myself and having my parents come into school because I'd fallen over and stuff like that um but I think it's a really hard thing to accept at that oh, kind yeah. of pivotal age as well I mean I think at the pivotal age like I remember being a teenager and I remember like growing up and my mom it's funny my mom is going through a box of our old pictures at her house right now and she phoned me yesterday and like texted me a bunch of old photos of me and I was like, wow, me at 14, like, whoa, so different. <laughs> but also, like, I know how when I was that age, like 11, 12, 13, 14, how you want to be so normal and you want to sit yeah. in and you want all of your disability to be this little tiny box that no one looks at ever and you're just mm -hmm. yourself. And so when you have disabilities like ours that are really present all the time, yeah, that, that trying to fit in that box can be exhausting and impossible mm -hmm. well, I was saying the other day to to someone on a show um about things that I did like silly things like for example I'd keep the most basic electric wheelchair the smallest model with no like you know no obvious uh riser tilter anything yeah. like that and I'd make my own life really hard because <laughs> I didn't have those things but I just thought well if I've got that people are going to ask me like what does that button do oh can you show me and like I was obsessed with not having a horn because you know so many chairs have horns I don't actually know yeah. why they have horns because they you know what that's weird about horns because they never work they're yeah. never loud enough. They never do what we would actually need them to do. Like, yeah, and I just don't know why. I just don't know in what situation, like, you'd really need that anyway. Because, like you say, it's it's not like a loud horn. It's just like a beep. Yeah. Like a beep, <laughs> so it's beep. like, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to do anything. But I was like, yeah, I definitely don't want that. Because people at school will ask me about it. And, you know, like, I just thought... I'm just going to keep it as basic as I possibly can. And then like everybody will just not see it, which is just ridiculous <laughs> yeah, because everybody can see it. Of course. <laughs> and like, you know, that I, I, I just remember doing the same thing, wanting to hide the chair, wanting yeah. to take, I took so many pictures when I was growing up of, or, or I would say, take it from the neck up and I'm going to be like, well, what about the chair? And I was like, I don't want to see it yeah oh god I was so like that too I was so like that especially like um when it came to online dating like back in the day I was probably on chat rooms from like 13 14 talking to people oh yeah and I'd always take a picture like that just like head and shoulders or me like on the office chair in the you know so it's not a wheelchair or do you know what it's it's so yeah, weird yeah. I don't know why I did that well just because we we had no role models we had no one to look up to like yeah. I wish that I had somebody like me when I was 14 to be like, it's okay, you're disabled. Like, but I think that journey of coming into it, especially for you as as a as a woman, like that's it's a whole different can of fish than yeah. being a disabled man because I feel like sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like sometimes being a disabled man is more acceptable than being a disabled woman. 
Really? See, I, I don't know if that's just perspective from, from either side, because I would have thought, like, I think when I think about dating, I think it's, although I'm talking like cishet men, though, um, I always yeah. think that's that's a harder experience, in my opinion, because there's that really toxic dynamic that a man should be like a protector and a man should be strong and a man should be this. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't suppose I've ever thought about actually how disabled women are like, viewed in the in the world i would i, guess. I mean from from and i'm i'm speaking as a totally i'm not in fact i should not be speaking on it so i'm gonna change the topic entirely no i'm interested I'm but so like you know i think that like i think that like disabled women are disenfranchised because they can't quote do things that women are supposed to do so they can't take care oh, of the, ho- I get the household you, necessarily I get like raise kids which you know is being a mom of two is not true like, yeah but all these no like, I so get you I so all, get where you're coming from <laughs> yeah all these like assumptions about what a woman is supposed to be capable of yeah and also like a woman show like or a female presenting person showing their sexuality you know disabled women oftentimes can't be mm. the sexy siren as easily as like the non-disabled woman can. So I, I just imagine there's a different pressure. Now I so get that actually, like when you link it to like the household duties and the child, um, the family, I suppose. Um, yeah, it makes complete sense. And there is this such, oh God, I just actually hate gender stereotypes at all because oh, yeah. That's you know, like... in my house, they just don't play a part. And, but the thing is, it's such a, it's even hard to explain to friends and family, right? Because I am like the main worker, breadwinner, whatever you want to call it here. And I'm working like 24-7. I'm traveling. Um, the kids obviously play a part in my schedule and I figure out all that out. So I kind of yeah. plan everyone's life. And then Josh helps with obviously the kids stuff, the house stuff, like all the stuff, like the, I suppose I plan the logistics and he actually carries it all out. And then, and then like, you still have people saying things like, well, you know, what's Josh doing like for work? And it's like, hang on a minute. How do you expect us as a couple to manage two kids, however many businesses, a household, and you still want him to go and do the typical man thing as well? It's just like, what is going on? <laughs> and I imagine for you, it's frustrating to have them be like, what is he doing? And you're like, he does stuff you don't even see. Like he does stuff yeah. that you don't even get to be a part of. And like, it's a partnership and like he doesn't have to bring home the bread because I do and but he exactly and that's empowering for me like freaking well done to me I'm sorry to toot my own horn here but like I've I've fought to get to my position in life and in business and I'm happy that I can provide like it makes me feel good that I can provide for my family and so like you know Josh's side the support that he gives me like physical and emotional and with the kids is like second to none and that is frustrating Andrew you're so right that people are like well I don't see that because they're not here they don't see like I actually laid it out to my family the other day because I was frustrated like I said oh because we always show each other pictures of like what we've ordered for dinner um what we've ordered sorry what we've cooked for dinner and we'd ordered out because I was working late and my mum was like oh well why didn't Josh cook and I was like one because he's like got both kids from school, got their tea ready, put them to bed, like, while I was doing all this, so we deserve to sit down and have a break, like, take the pressure off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, I think that there, it sounds like there's an expectation on him to be this able-bodied savior of you, to save you from, like, all the hard stuff, and you're like, no, we do, we work well together, and I think it's, this is not a question I wrote down, but I think that can you talk about, other than like that part of the relationship, can you talk about what it's like being in an interable relationship with somebody who's not disabled or he's not, right? No, he's not. No, he's not. Yeah, he's um he's non-disabled. Um, so yeah, I think the thing is with me, I've always been in interable relationships, um, not particularly through choice or like, oh, I don't want to date another disabled person. It's just always how I've 
it's happened and I've ended up. Um, and also when I used to do a lot of dating, I, I wasn't exposed to any other people with disability apart from me and my brother. So that obviously wouldn't have been a relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I've always had this experience, but every time the experience has been completely different with every partner. Um, and you know what, it's really ironic. Like the, the ones that haven't worked out, um I've always been like me getting I suppose frustrated about their lack of like drive their lack of like like ambition but also like because we have to do so much as disabled people we have to plan so much we have to be you know problem solving yeah yeah it always feels like sometimes people jump on that ability and they're like okay you can sort me out too you know you can and you're uh, like no 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 I'm not here to like I'm not here to like fix your life yeah Um, and or or just completely like they take a seat back and and not think about you know what they want to do with their life and stuff like that so I think this particular relationship is so positive because you know, we've both got our own things that we do. Um, we've both got our own like needs and we both communicate really well, which is probably something that I've never done before. So like sitting together and like, I'll always say, you know, if I'm working too much, tell me, um, or like I'll often go to bed earlier cause I'm sick of being in my chair all day. Yeah. And I want to sit on like the bed and work, finish a bit of work or even watch some terrible TV or whatever. And I'll say, do you want me to stay with you? Or do you want to come in with me? Or should we have some time apart? And it's like, everything is just like, we just work together on everything and we just communicate everything back and forth. And I think that really helps massively. Yeah. Do you think that your disability uh and being disabled and needing to ask for help and needing to ask for stuff do you think that enhanced your communication level or no yes definitely definitely and but I think in the past I've had the trouble where um I haven't communicated and I've let myself sort of struggle especially before I had care as well um so now I'm just very very aware that you know if I need something I've got to ask for it because yeah. otherwise I'm not going to get it and then I'm going to be in a bad situation because I'm either not having what I need in terms of like even things like going to the toilet or whatever. Um, I need to ask for like everything and not think, oh, this is inconvenient. Do you know what I mean? Because nobody yeah. else thinks that when they go for a piss. <laughs> no, no, they're just like, I got to pee. It's fine. Yeah, what yeah. Is, what has it been like? You mentioned that you now have care. What has it been like? Like, how long have you had care? What has it been like transitioning from no care to care? Oh, God. So I had, I've been, I've had care for like just over four years now. Oh, you're still new to it. It's still new. Yeah, it's still new. So basically when I, when I moved out of home, well, I've always kind of had care from partners um, and friends. Like I was never one of these like people that was sort of like only a certain person can deliver my care like I've never been super bothered about who helps yeah, yeah. me as long as they're capable like and, and I know they're capable of doing it um so I, yeah I had help from like partners and friends um and like my mom and dad obviously is a, a lot of disabled people have to do it you know um oh yeah I do so I moved so when I moved out I was with, I was moved out with a partner so they just did all my all my all my care um and I never really thought that I'd one be able to get care uh because they always sort of indicate if you've got a partner that they should be responsible for your care isn't that fucking ridiculous yeah it's so ridiculous because isn't... how are you supposed to function independently you're not and yeah like that's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah it is so I was always scared of that part and then I was always scared of doing something wrong like you know they make it so complicated like the things you can and can't do the things you've got to pay for and then if you earn too much you can't have this and it's just such a minefield I was just like I want to stay away from it at all costs yeah um so I wasn't getting anything that I needed um to the point that I was actually hospitalized because I wasn't oh no yeah so this was just after the birth of my first son um I wasn't drinking enough because I didn't want to take time to go to the toilet because 
of our schedule and having to look after a baby full time. So I got sepsis um, and I could have basically I could have died. I know this like this seems to happen a lot, especially I think um, girls with SMA because they are prone to like urine infections and stuff like that anyway. So like this urine infection just developed and turned into sepsis. Um, so I was in hospital for a week, just trying to get back to like health. Um, and that's when like a nurse in the hospital said, have you not got any carers or any PAs? I was like, no, I didn't even know that I would be entitled to it. And she was like, okay, I'm going to ring up and, and sort this out. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so I think in time with her doing that, my brother had just moved out and also gotten, um, a care contract so then I approached his care company and we sorted out like a contract um but at first I was just getting like not that many hours so it was kind of like a battle that we had to go through to get the hours justified and stuff um but honestly straight away I saw like, a change isn't that so silly you have to yeah. justify hours because yeah. you need care like how how disgusting of a system that we live in where you and you're not the only one that's told me this I know PIP and I know like mm. all that stuff in the UK is abysmally horrible so yeah. I've, I've spoken to other people in the UK who have said similar things just how awful it is that you have to fight so hard to get basic care mm. I know honestly it is it's and, and it's it's humiliating in a way because they're just like show me the worst version of yourself and tell me about all the things you can't do not like how can we empower you how can we you know what do you need from us how can we help you live a better life it's all very much like well if you can do this you're not having this and yeah i mean it's really bad the way it's done for sure Mm. so yeah i think with my care journey um like i said at first i didn't have as many hours but as soon as i even got a few hours like i really started to notice a difference to like my thinking like the things that I could do like everything it just seemed like the load was lightened a little bit um but I don't know having carers now like full-time um it's it's difficult because you're essentially sharing your life with with somebody else aren't you yeah yeah you really are your time is not yours yeah Um, it it is yours but it's also theirs it's really it's really hard it's not easy no, it's not. And and you've got to find that perfect person. And I've just had um, both of my main PAs leave, which is... Which oh, is, no, isn't yeah. that hard? Yeah. So um, nothing to do with me, by the way. I have to add that. Like <laughs> one of them just... Um, she hadn't worked for a long time and she, she was really struggling because she had a family as well. Um, and then the other one's gone on to do a nursing degree. But it was just really bad timing that they were both like... So I'm handing my notice in. I was like, no. Oh no, yeah, yeah. It's it can be so hard to lose. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That relationship is so valuable. And when it goes away, you're like, oh fuck, now I have to start again with someone new. I know. So I've got new two new um PAs starting at the end of this month. So they both seem amazing, but I'm, I've learned from employing PAs that I'm a really bad judge of character because <laughs> whoever because... I choose is wrong. <laughs> and you want to please everybody. So you, like, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm so glad that where I live, I don't have to hire because yeah, I would be like, oh, you were nice to me once and you're shitty at the job. Oh, I can't, I can't fire you. Like... Honestly, that's what I'm like. That is what I'm like to T. I'm just like, oh, but it's not your fault. But then it yeah. affects your life. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh, God, I hate the, I hate that they do this. Or I hate the way they do that. And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything, though, because that's mean. Yeah. And it's like, what? This is my life. But yeah. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to be mean. I'm so bad at it. I can't say no. I can't say, like, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. No, I'm the same so as I'm you. lucky where I live. Like, I don't have to do the hiring and firing because if I did I'd be the worst at it I'd be so bad at it oh my goodness yeah (laughs) the worst um let me see what my other questions are oh one of the things I want to talk about we kind of touched on the growing up part so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump past that for a minute want to ask you about you talked in, in the form about feeling an urgency or a need to rush sex and I totally connected with this feeling 
of yeah. wanting to do everything really fast, wanting to be sexually active when I, as soon as I got the chance to, and believe me, the minute I left home, I was ready to like lose that V card. Um, <laughs> did you feel like your disability played a role in why you wanted to rush things, why there was an urgency? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think I was just like a sexual person anyway. And I think a lot of the kind of, I suppose we could call it research that I did when I was younger on chat rooms and stuff. Quote unquote research. Yeah, okay. Research. <laughs> um, led me to like just feel sexual I have like a lot of sexual thoughts all the time so I was probably the most like forward out of my my friend group who were all able-bodied and I yeah like I think that it was though down to that it was like a proof thing not to my friends particularly but to like other people and it's so silly like that I even thought this way but I yeah I think looking at other people in the year group and like everybody had their age that you should lose it by or yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean and I always wanted to be like not one of the last because that's what people would expect of me as a disabled person yeah yeah it was so oh it was so yeah oh, it's no, a silly that. pressure to have like so I get the pressure and they're mm -hmm. like I remember being 16 17 seeing my peer group like go to parties and make out and talk about sex and like and I'd be like well, I don't know I haven't done that I don't know how to do any of that like so the minute I got the chance to and I wish I could take my I wish I could take my virginity back because it was a really shitty experience but oh, yeah like <laughs> because I because I was rushing through like the experience wasn't good the guy was kind of mean the moments were not it wasn't like this big moment it was like that's it that's mm. that's what it is Mm -hmm. oh why did I do this <laughs> I completely get you there like I would have pretty much probably done it with anyone at that point because I was just like okay it's just a title I just want this sorted and then I'll just carry on with my life yeah yeah which is such a bad way to look at what we were doing like yeah. if I could go back and redo my virginity and I told this story before but if I could go back and redo my virginity I wouldn't have the guy call me a pity fuck I don't know did I ever have I ever told you this story no, no, okay, well, you okay, well, told me. I, I will tell you the story. And, and if you're listening and you've heard it before, get ready, you're gonna hear it again. Um, <laughs> so when I was 19, I moved away to college and I lived in a dorm with a roommate and I lived by myself. And so every day I would go home and I'd go on the gay chat, the gay whatever line it was, and I would find somebody to like hook up with, and it was mm -hmm. not working. And then one day my roommate came in and was like, are you, what are you doing? Are you looking for dick on the internet? And I was like, yes, I am. And he goes, well, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you. So he comes in and he's like, he types into the chat box. I want a blowjob. And within 20 minutes, like a guy was on his way over. And so wow. he, came, he came over and he was really attractive, like totally my type, rugged, had this Canadian like, lumberjack look, which was my thing. And it's still my thing. If anybody wears a plaid shirt, I'm like, I want to be, can we date right now? Um, <laughs> but so he had that look. And so we fucked. By fucked, I mean he touched me once and I came too fast. Um, and so I thought that because he had made me come, we were boyfriends. Because I was like, in every movie that I've ever watched, whenever they do that, they're in a relationship. So you just made me come. So aren't we together now? Isn't that like what happens? And so I said, like, hey, do you want to go on a date now that we've done this? Like, do you want to hang out? And he was like, oh, no, I came by because you were just a pity fuck. I felt bad for you. And so I wanted to help you out. And I was like broken and I freaked out and cried. And I was, it was a whole thing. Who are these people that say these things? Just like, like people that think they're being kind and you're just like, oh, you're an asshole. Oh, I get it. Okay, good. <laughs> Maybe they try and be kind because they are assholes and they know they're assholes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So like, you know, but if I could... If I hadn't had the urgency to rush my sexual experience and want to be like everybody else and want to have that experience and if I'd slowed down a bit, like maybe I would have been 23, 24, but maybe yeah. I would have been happier too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I don't even know with mine, like 
what I would do, like when I would change it to or who with or anything. It's so weird to think about because you think about all the people and you're like, wow, I can't believe I actually did that anyway. Yeah, like <laughs> some of the experiences I've had, I look back and I go, why did you do, why? You yeah. didn't even like this person. They didn't even like you. Like, I think for me as a queer man at that time, like seeing how sexualized our community is, and was, I, I regret being like, oh, yeah, but you, you're you horny? Me too, let's have sex. Even mm. if, like, I wasn't into the dude, I would totally do that. Now, my palate's a little bit more refined. I know what I'm after, and like, I know what I'm looking for. But, like, when I was 19, man, anything that moved, I was like, sure, yeah, great. Yeah, I like the style. I like your uh, type as well, the lumberjack, like, kind of rugged dude. That's, like, my partner. Yeah, um, like... And but I, tattoos I, I, as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen the pictures and I'm jealous your partner's hot. Um, so... I'm going to tell him that. Yeah, tell him. He'll love that. You He's, better not be trying to steal my boyfriend. I mean, listen, if I ever come over there and you want to hang out and if your husband disappears for a night... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, he, he, no, but he's, you know, I think I think that's my type like the rugged like quiet handsome dude that's my that's my thing yeah yeah oh my god watch out josh andrew's coming for you i'm coming <laughs> but if i can ever get myself back over to the uk we should hang out if i ever get back over we're there, gonna have a wild night if you can get to the uk if i can sure. ever get over there again like we 100 should um so i wanted to also ask you about what did i write down here i wanted to ask you about so we talked earlier about losing ability a little bit. And I know yeah. for me, I lose ability. I've lost ability over the last couple of years, lost the ability to pee. Um, and I'm losing ability, not losing necessarily, but it's changing a lot. And mm-hmm. my disability technically is not progressive, but it feels like it is when they don't tell you that things will change really fast. Mm-hmm. SM- and I, I have friends with SMA and I have people who have SMA in my life. As somebody who has that, like, what is it like for you to lose something you could do the day before or the month before? Like, I know that there's a grief with that. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah. Like, I've had really fast progression in the last four years because that's when I had my first son. So, like, four and a half years, I should say. Um, So, since then, like, before I had Mason, I could walk like from for example if I was in a hotel from the bed to the bathroom I could walk like when I say walk it wasn't like a normal quote-unquote walk it was like my own version of a walk yeah um so I couldn't go like running a marathon or walking around the street but I could you mean you get couldn't myself around. what come on <laughs> Kelly come on just try harder I was gonna say I obviously didn't try hard enough did I um <laughs> um no but so I could do that then um and then after I had Mason I think because I had a c-section I was off my feet for so long as well that doesn't help um but I could only I could only do a few steps from my chair to the bed and then after I had Hunter my youngest son I could only just stand to turn between my chair and the bed. So like pivot rather than walk. And then I broke my ankle after I had Hunter, which was a stupid idea. I didn't mean to do it, obviously. Um, <laughs> I was I was just rushing. I was just getting my trousers pulled up and I was overthinking. Do you ever have those days where you overthink your care and oh, you yeah. do it differently? Like for no reason it was one of those days I was like okay my chair needs to be further forward but actually there was no reason for me to do that and it it actually made it worse so as um, my PA helped me pull my trousers up my legs kind of buckled but because I'd pulled my chair forward I was stuck then between the chair and the bath so I just went down like a ton of bricks. Um, Yeah, I broke, I broke both bones in my left ankle. Um, So then I was in cast for like three months. So yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I know. And then they reset my foot wrong. So now I can't stand at all. They reset your foot. Hang on. (laughs) what do you mean they reset your foot wrong? So because the way I used to walk, like I say, I walked in my own sort of different way 
on my right foot I'd be on a tiptoe and on my left foot I was like over on the side of my foot and okay. so when they reset it they set it as a again quote unquote normal foot and now it doesn't go oh, over. yeah so I can't use it because I've trained that foot essentially over the years to keep bending keep bending being really flexible and now it's just a rigid foot it won't it won't do what I need it to do oh, um, no. so I can't stand it all now so my partner can help me um like stand in a way but he just basically holds all my weight so I can stand but like if he let me go, I'd fall basically. So yeah, it, that's really scary. But honestly, I think because of the pandemic, I've not had to face the loss of that ability because the times it would be really useful is like if I got on a plane, for example, I could, if my seat was like row four or five, I could get to that seat and not have to do like the plane chair thing and um, which I hate doing, as you it's probably do. The worst. Yeah. The worst. Um, so it's just things like that. And then going, like, I never used to worry too much what a bathroom was like when I went out to a restaurant because um, if it was a tight space, I could leave my chair in the hallway and then get through the door. But now, like, there's so much more, like, you know, anxiety there when I go out. And I think everyone's got extra anxiety after COVID anyway. Oh, yeah. But, like, COVID yeah it's just ridiculous like how much how many little changes come with losing that progression but yeah I think you're probably right in saying that there's grief there but I probably haven't dealt with that grief yet maybe yeah no I get it I think I have I'm learning to like lean into the grief a little bit and mm-hmm. learning to like let's like you you see my Instagram you see what I post there like I talk yeah. about it all every day because I'm like I want to I want a space to put the feelings I'm feeling about disability mm-hmm. and like I know for me that grief has been really hard to navigate but I, I'm still really proud that I can talk about it because it's not something I think in disability discourse we ever talk about no we don't and you know what I, it's interesting because I'm trying to take that kind of mantra with my whole life now like I've had quite a lot happen recently that do you know what because I'm I'm guesting on a lot of shows and always talking to people and I just talk about everything because I think it helps you process it more yeah and I oftentimes when you do guest spots on shows not this show because I'm amazing but on other shows like um you know they want you to talk about the they want you to fit a very specific conversation piece so if you're going on you're going on as dis- as a disability consultant or as like a disability and sexuality consultant so they give you mm-hmm. very pointed questions on like what they want you to talk about and mm-hmm. I think that's great but they're curating it in a way that's like that's not fully what it means to be disabled there's mm-hmm. more to it than that and I wish we could have space where we could talk about all that stuff yeah and and not just that as well but you end up saying the same thing over and over and over, over and over again <laughs> and it's just not interesting I just think well if somebody does actually follow my work, I don't know if anybody does, but they're not going to want to hear me say the same thing over and over again. They're going to no. want more of an insight into my life. And, yeah. and I'm happy to give that. I really am. And I think that's, I think that kind of stuff is so important. So if you ever get to the place where you want to explore the grief, come back on the show. We can have a whole episode where we just yeah. chat about it. Cause I know how hard it can be. I want to switch gears to something about you. We've talked about your kids mason and hunter right the which yeah those are awesome names i love them oh, um, thank you can you tell me about what it's like to be a disabled mom yeah sure sure so i think for my like i'll separate the two kids and the two ages because there's a totally different experience for each so mason's four he's four and a half really now um just about so his like me parenting him is a piece of cake because like we've built a bond. Um, I was a single mom for a part of Mason's journey. And like, we have a really close bond in that I had carers and they helped me facilitate his needs, but there was no other, you know, active voice um, from like one and a half. Um, 
so that's like a, a time where he learned quite a lot and we've always been close we're like the same person so <laughs> we are literally Josh says to me all the time oh my god I understand why your mum used to get so frustrated with you when you were a kid because you're exactly like Mason <laughs> and it's so true it's so true um but with Mace like because we've got that bond and that respect like that we've built over the years he listens to me um for the most part he like you know if I say to him um it's time to go to school like he'll stand on my foot plates and we'll walk over the road to school together so that's oh, really so nice yeah. yeah it is nice because like I never thought that I'd get that for a long time yet um that I could be alone with him even if it's just for like five ten minutes to go over the road yeah yeah it's we're lucky the school is only over the road um but it's just so nice to be able to have that time where we've got I haven't got to ask anyone else for anything I can just be with my son by myself it's so nice um so I love this age that he's at because it's like okay at the end of the day if we're both tired we'll get in bed and watch films together and you know it's a really cool age but with Hunter it's really hard at the minute because he's at the age that I struggle with the most and I struggled with Mason but I think because I had so many other struggles at that time it it wasn't highlighted I just kind of got on with it but with Hunter it's like he's at the age where he's too heavy for me to carry and pick up he can go on my lap, but he has to want to stay there, which is really hard around that age because they just don't want to stay anywhere. He's two, right? He'll be two in May, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's not even, so he's not even there yet. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. even two. So he's not talking. Um, he's saying some things like mainly animals and um, what else does he say? Thank you. He says thank you all the time, um, which too. is random, but it's a good thing to have, I guess. Um, but yeah, he's so I can't communicate with with Hunter in a way that I can with Mace, obviously, because he doesn't understand yet. Um, So things like, you know, get on my foot plates, climb on my lap, stuff like that. He doesn't get it yet. So this is a really hard age and an age that like, it does make you feel like you can't be much of a parent because you can't teach them anything, you know, about life. You can't, it's all down to physical stuff at, the, at this age because yeah. it's like, okay, don't hurt yourself. Um, you know, but get I can't tamed. stop you. Yeah, like, yeah. If they go to hurt themselves, you can't. You can yell. You can like yell for help, but you can't actually stop yeah. them if something happens. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So it's very two very different experiences. But the good thing I know with obviously having Mace who's older is that it changes, and that when he will be Mason's age it'll be the same sort of experience that I have with my son. Yeah. How do you explain to Mason, like he's four, how do you explain to your son, like, or have you explained how the disability works or are you just like mom's in a wheelchair? That's it. That's all I need to know. Yeah. He, he actually, you know what? It's so weird because I never actually really had that conversation. He sort of just knows. So like, for example, uh, he said to me once, like we were talking about cars because Josh has got this like sports car kind of thing and um he's obsessed with it and and I said oh do you want a car like Josh or like mommy when you grow up he was like like mommy and I was like well why because Josh's car's cooler and like you know it's a sporty car and stuff and he was like yeah but then I won't have a, a lift on my car so you won't be able to come in the car with me Oh, my heart just broke. Oh, my God. I know. I know. And he just thinks about it all like that. Yeah. And he just sees it for what it is. Like, for example, whose house was it? My nan moved into a new house. And even though her house is a bungalow, it doesn't have a ramp yet. It's got steps. So he was like, Mommy, you can't come to Grand Grand's house because the steps. And I never, like, mention anything to do with that. He just knows. Yeah. That's kind of adorable and important. That shows you how, like, if they're raised with a disabled parent, they don't, you don't necessarily have to teach them. They just know. Yeah, it's just, exactly. It's just... And as well, because my brother is disabled and my brother's fiance is disabled. So my brother's fiance is, um, she's a manual chair user and he knows the difference between a manual chair and an electric wheelchair just because he's seen it. And he knows that auntie Neve's in a manual and mommy and uncle Chris are in electric wheelchairs. It's so, it's so cool. Well, that, I mean, that's such a, that's such an awesome experience for a little one to have in a family to have a mul- like multiple family members with multiple disabilities. Like that's yeah, 
I mean, I just think to be raised that way and to have such an intuition to know that my family members are in wheelchairs and that's cool no matter what it is. Like that's for a four-year-old to know that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. He's he's very forward and he's very emotional. Like he's like me, like wears his heart on his sleeve completely. So I can I just hope that it's okay for him when he's at school. Yeah. Like, he is at school at the minute, but it's just preschool. And and if anyone says anything, it's like, oh, why are you in that? <laughs> and it's like because <laughs> XYZ. But you know, as he gets older, kids are bullies sometimes. Yeah, and... kids are mean and stupid. Mm-hmm. So and say really inappropriate things because they're kids but like so yeah for him to have that knowledge I think when he gets older um if he sees another disabled person he'll know like yeah he'll know to talk to them or be their friend or he won't be afraid of it because he lives it every day so I think without you without you even realizing it you're giving him this base of like oh this kind of difference is not a big deal and he's probably going to go through life understanding disability in a much mm-hmm. deeper way than any of us realize because he saw you and his family live through it. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. And that's it as well. He's seen all the hard parts. Like, even though I don't know how much of it he'll remember, but like, I put myself through some shit raising him when he was like, you know, when he was younger and I was like on my own or, or before, even before I was on my own when I was doing quite a lot. Um, I, yeah, he would have seen me struggle. So I think he knows deep down that, you know, I can do everything that I need to do for him, which is great. And I think, you know, how, how does it make you feel um, just as a disabled mom? How do you feel being the like disabled mom up to like kids? I'm proud of it. Definitely. Like, you know, it's frustrating because I think even like now now Mason started his new preschool I always feel like the teachers judge you and the parents judge you and it's almost like oh where like you know for example um I dress like some days I go over just in like sweats and like hair up or whatever but then some days I go over dressed up for work and it's like oh you well like where are you going sort of thing and it's like yeah I do have a job like I know you don't expect that but I do have a job and you know it's always like why can't you do what what we want you to do for example like parents evening was on the day that I was working in London and I'm like well I'm not going to be here and they're kind of like well why not you're disabled you've got nowhere to go like come on oh no (laughs) come on PTA moms do better come on PTA kids do better um (laughs) I want to shift gears back to sexy time just a little bit. How does, now that you have a partner that understands all your stuff and also helps you with stuff, how Mm -hmm. does like that play a role in your sex? I think when it comes to sex, it is like, like I said to you before, just about the general relationship, uh, the communications there. And it has been from the start, like Josh and I were actually meant to be a hookup. Um, because oh wow amazing I know I know so we met on tinder of course Um, we did I know I know so cliche um but I wasn't looking for another relationship because I was so happy with my newfound freedom of having 24 7 PAs and being a mom of one and I loved it and working and and not having to answer to anyone and like it was I loved it it's an like it was a freedom I've never experienced before um because I feel like when you're disabled you're always on someone else's schedule oh yeah totally but this was like finally my schedule so anyway I'm digressing a bit here but I was not interested in another relationship at all and I told him that at the time um and but he was so supportive to me like it was I even joke and say like you weren't even at the top of my list to meet because I thought you were too keen on a relationship <laughs> and like I just thought he was too soft like I was just looking for a, a bad boy I, to like fuck one I time fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like you were like maybe number four or five on the list or whatever um but then he just started being really caring like and saying like you know just the, the stuff like how was your day and it wasn't long after I was going through a breakup. So he was kind of like, you know, if you ever need to talk about your breakup, if you ever want to talk just about parenting or like, he wasn't a parent, but he was like, I'm your place to vent basically. And then like, I know. And then he encouraged me to like, 
go on um video chat and like I'd never done that before because dating I wasn't dating in the time of like video chat so I was kind of like this is weird like but then we'd end up video chatting till late and I thought okay this this is going to turn into something um but I was still determined I was like no just come over on my lunch break and we'll bang and that's it (laughs) but no it turned very quickly into a relationship a serious relationship um but my point about this was um even from the first hookup I said like okay so you're gonna have to get me out of my chair onto the bed like this is how we're gonna do it yeah you're gonna come the whole I'm a disabled girl thing like you're gonna have to yeah but we set it up in like a sexy way though because I was like as soon as you walk through the door we're gonna go straight to the bedroom and then you need to get me onto the bed and then this and that you know it wasn't like very clinical yeah it wasn't clinical it was just this is what happens and then he was like beforehand I'm pretty sure he said something like is any position okay or whatever and then from there it was just like he would move me around and like he didn't even ask like oh can we swap to this can we swap to that it was just very fluid because we'd already had like that like conversation of about consent and about ability and all that stuff what was that conversation around ability like it was fine like it was very basic it was just kind of like well is it okay is this position okay or can you do this and you know is it okay if I do that or whatever um and I just was honest and then yeah and and I think he's probably the only person I've ever been honest with when it comes to like um giving head or stuff it's always like I was always like okay like if they want you to give head in a weird position I have like a really bad like floppy head like you probably can see me keep leaning on my hand yeah yeah Um, (laughs) <laughs> but have, my, my like, muscles get tired you have like sma head because like, yeah like, most people have the same with sma they have the same thing where their head flops around a bit yeah 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 i've got a bubble head um <laughs> so <laughs> i like when i lean to one side i always think well one it's not comfortable but two like you get that teeth scrape and all that stuff yeah so i'd much rather give head in a comfortable position and i think he's probably the only guy that i've ever said that to like everyone else, I was like, okay, I'll try. And then end up giving a really bad blowjob that they probably hate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's their own fault for not being good communicators. <laughs> right? You want good head from the bobblehead. You gotta, you gotta. You gotta work it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you and I could talk forever and ever again, but we're actually going to switch off to do your show right now. Yay! So let's do it. <laughs> Kelly Gordon, how do the, thank you so much for coming on. I'll make sure all your stuff's in the show notes. I'm not going to say it here because I want to protect your privacy. I want to make sure that you feel comfy. So we'll put it all in the show notes. Don't worry. Um, Any final words you want to say to the people? No, just you all know where to find me. Andrew will tell you. I'm happy to talk about anything. So if anyone wants to know more, just hit me up and we'll have a chat. And just tell the people what, what podcast of yours we're going to go record right now ah we're going to go and record pleasure rebels now and andrew's going to tell me all about his sex life (laughs) (laughs) so uh so (laughs) go by the time this comes out i'm sure my episode will be out so go listen to that and also go support pleasure rebels because it's done by a disabled person so support it yay um (laughs) billy gordon thank you for talking to me about everything about being disabled being a mom all these things. It was such a fun combo to finally sit down and chat with you. Um, thank you for being here. No worries. Let's go and do mine. See you everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at AndrewGerza underscore or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com, to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com disabilityafterdark. Or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced 
by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.